Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom. I am Dr. Ann Davis, one of the Bible Interact teachers. We have come to see that the two Testaments are, in fact, one unified message. The New Testament is very Hebraic in its nature. I mean, I've come to that conclusion. I'm immersed in the Hebrew Scriptures, so when I go into the New Testament, I can see how Hebraic the New Testament really is, which is no surprise because the authors were, in large part, they were Jews, and their holy writings were the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call the, the Old Testament, but I prefer to call the Hebrew Scriptures. One indication of the Hebraic nature of the New Testament is that it has over 300 citations of the Old Testament. And and that's in the New Testament. So, at the time the New Testament story was taking place, there was no New Testament. (laughs) And, And the New Testament authors, for them, the holy writings were the Hebrew Scriptures. So the, we see these uh, the two testaments, the Old and New Testaments, as, as one unified message, both of them very Hebraic in nature. Now, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. If you go into the Gospel of Matthew, into uh, chapter 21, you will find what my Bible calls the parable of the landowner. And it starts out, listen to this parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. Now, uh, I'm sure you know the parable because the, the landowner left and he had tenant farmers taking care of his vineyard. And when it came time for the harvest, he sent his servants to collect the essentially the rent the, because the um, the tenant farmers were supposed to give part of their produce to the landowner, uh, but the uh, the tenant farmers uh, beat and killed and stoned the servants of of the landowner, and so finally the landowner sent his son, and they killed his son, and of course we recognize that as Yeshua, but there is so much more to it, and. The people at the time of Yeshua, the people in ancient Israel, would have heard the echo from the parable of the vineyard in Isaiah. If we don't think the way the people of ancient Israel thought, if we don't go back and immerse ourselves in the parable of the vineyard in Isaiah, we're going to jump to theological conclusions, which I call circular reasoning. So you you sort of start with your tradition, and you read the parable, and you reinforce your tradition. But if you want to learn how to get into the depth of Scripture, you've got to think like the people of ancient Israel. You've got to listen to the text. They didn't have books. So you have to listen to the text. You have to hear anything strange or unusual. This parable starts out with a citation, actually, from, from Isaiah. If you have a a reference Bible, um, it will put the citation in small capital letters. I use the New American Standard 
reference Bible, and I, I'm looking at it right now in my Bible, because it says, you know, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who. Now, the next part of the verse is in italics. So this is the citation. Planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower. That's the end of the citation. And the verse goes on. And rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. So what we need to do, and we're going to do that today, we need to go back to the parable of the vineyard in Isaiah and become immersed in that before returning to Matthew to try to understand the parable in Matthew. And my suggestion is that the traditional interpretation of Matthew is probably not necessarily correct. It may be correct in part, but, but there's more to it than, than we have seen. So what we're going to do now is we're going to go back to Isaiah and if you have your Bible, you can do that. It's in Isaiah chapter 5. If you're driving in the car or washing the dishes, <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll read the, the parable in Isaiah to you. But if you have a Bible, I think it's probably good to get your Bible. All right, we're going to Isaiah chapter 5. And this parable, t it takes seven verses, verses 1 through 7. And I'm going to do, um, I'm going to do three things. First, I'm going to give you the historical background to understand why Isaiah is giving this parable. You can't just read it out of its historical context. You've got to have the historical background. Second, I'm going to show you that it's, it's written in the language of Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry conveys rhythm and emotion. It's also filled with artistic language, all kinds of symbols and images and um, so we're going to take a look at the at the language of poetry, how it's crafted in this, this poetic language. <clears throat> and then finally we're going to look, uh, given the historical situation, given the poetry, which is evoking a lot of emotion, we have here what's called the language of wrath and judgment. God is telling Israel, wake up call. If you don't wake up and turn to me, bad things are going to happen. Now, that doesn't mean that God causes bad things to happen. We allow bad things to happen in our lives if we walk outside of God's ways, outside of his commandments. So let's get started with the historical background. Let's, uh, we're in Isaiah chapter 5, and it begins, Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. All right, what is the historical background to this parable, this song? The historical background is that the fierce, wicked Assyrians who were a powerful empire in what is today Iraq, the land between the two rivers called Mesopotamia, they were marching, the soldiers were marching and they were headed for Egypt to conquer Egypt. To get to Egypt they had to pass through little Israel. They were brutal. You know, the ancient world was a time of brutality, but the Assyrians were especially brutal. And this was threatening. And Isaiah is, is speaking for God, and God is singing this song. Now, the next thing I want you to see is that it's in poetic language. The poetry is in rhythm. It doesn't rhyme. It's in rhythm, and it evokes emotion. So let me start again. Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. 
<clears throat> this is God. This is God who is singing the song, and it is God's vineyard. We're going to see as we go along <clears throat> that the vineyard is Israel. All right? And God continues. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill, and he dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it, and hewed out a wine vat in it. All right? The, the emotion that this is evoking should be uh, an, an emotion of love. You are people of God. You may not be children of Israel, but if you belong to God, you should be identifying with this song because God is singing to his people, his beloved people. Now, in, in Isaiah, he's singing, of course, to Israel, but I want you, if you are not um, uh, a child of Israel, if you are a Gentile believer in Christ, I want you to identify with this song because God is singing to his people and it's it's a song of love. You know, God loves my beloved, my well-beloved. He loves his children. And and he's tended them like a father tends a child. He's 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 put them on a fertile hill. And you get a picture of the um the hill country in in Israel, uh, the fertile hill. And and he's he's dug it all around. That the earth is he's dug it all up and he's removed its stones. The hill country in Israel is very, very stony, and uh, and and you you have to remove those stones. And he's building terraces because it's on the slope of a hill. He's building terraces, so the flat part of the terrace is where he's going to plant the vineyard. And he planted it with the with the choicest vine. I mean, the best possible grapevine that that existed. And he built a tower in the middle of it. And the tower was, was so that the, the watchman could, could watch. There would be no marauding animals or enemies. This, this was a wonderful, wonderful vineyard. And, and he hewed out a wine vat. Um, that's where the, um, um, it, it, at harvest season, the, grapes, the, the feet would stomp the grapes and, and, and create the juice. And that would have been in a wine vat. So we get this image of this wonderful God who's taking care of his children and we're his children and then all of a sudden it said but no wait there's one above it he he god expected it to produce good grapes but it produced only wild ones my translation says worthless but the word means wild and it also means sour because <laughs> the the wild and berries are, are small and they're hard and they're sour. It's only when you, you cultivate them that you get beautiful, big, plush, sweet berries. Um, I grew up on the coast of, northern, of uh, northern Massachusetts and wild blueberries were very common and we would go out and pick them and, and I know exactly what they were. I mean, they were tiny and uh, I'd have a little orange juice can that was empty with a string around my neck and it would take me so long to collect these wild, tiny little wild berries. And back then they would give me a quarter if I came back with a cup so that my mother could make blueberry muffins. So I understand about these, these wild berries. They're not cultivated sweet, plump berries. They're wild. And, and the but is that contrast. You know, God has done all of these things to, because he loves his people, but the people turned out to be like wild, sour grapes. All right. Now, um, 
the um, what we want to do now is we want to take a look at the language of wrath and judgment because um, we have just heard the language of wrath and judgment. This is um, a, a language of condemnation. You, my people, I have, I have taken care of you and you have turned out to be wild, like wild sour grapes. The, the uh, English translation here is worthless. I suppose that's conveying what it means. This is the language of wrath and judgment. This is a way of God instructing his people. You know, when, um, when children do something wrong, they have to be corrected. And if it's something serious, let's say that, you know, a, a small little boy, two years old, you know, runs out into the highway where semis are bearing down on him, you don't say, oh, Johnny, you shouldn't do that. You, you have to take firmer action so that Johnny knows that, by golly, he's not going to go out and run into that, that highway again. And this is the language of wrath and judgment that is used in the ancient world as a form of instruction when the children of Israel are, are definitely like the little two-year-old boy running out into the highway. And then it continues in verse 3. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. All right. And God is saying, judge between me and Israel. What more was there for, for uh, to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? God is presenting his case. It's like in a law court, he's presenting his case. Look at all that I've done. I've done all of these things. And he's already said, you know, he's put them on a fertile hill. He's dug all around. He's removed the stones. He's planted with the choicest vine. He's built a tower in the middle. <clears throat> what more could I have done? Why? When I expected to produce good grapes, did it produce wild ones? So now, let me tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. All right. This is part of the language of wrath and judgment. Folks, if we are not walking in God's ways, there are going to be consequences. We bring the consequences upon ourselves. God doesn't make bad things happen to us. He allows bad things to happen to us so that we will turn away from the world back to him. It, it, the technical term is testing. This is what testing is. Um, testing is, is not to see if you're going to be good. It, it's a form of instruction that says, okay, I'm going to let you fall. I'm going to let you get scratched and bruised and bumped. I'm going to let that happen to you. But the reason I'm going to let it happen is so that you are going to turn to me and walk in my ways. Because when you turn and walk in my ways, you're going to be blessed. And if you walk in the ways of the, of the world, I'm going to let you be cursed. I'm going to let that happen to you. All right? So he says, so now let me tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. All right. Here's what he's going to do. I will remove its hedge and it will be consumed. The hedge is a, is a protection um, and um, the, it's an allusion to what later became in Israel known as the, the wall around the, the law. It was a protection around the law to protect the law. And here the protection is around the, the people of Israel. But God is removing the hedge. He's removing that protection. And by removing it, he's going to allow the world to come in and devastate that vineyard. It will be consumed. I will break down its wall and it will become trampled ground. Um, and, by the way, there's the image that I get here of trampled ground 
is of uh, um, well in in my area it's cattle and if the cattle come in and they they you know they just trample the ground and they drop all their droppings <laughs> and and that's the image I get here I think probably in ancient Israel it would have been sheep it would have been an image of sheep coming in and trampling the ground and leaving their droppings and God continues and I will lay it waste it will not be pruned or hoed, so it, it it's going fallow. It's it's you know no one's tending it. God because God is the one who is tending it. So God is not going to tend it, because if He tends it, it it props us up and allows us to continue in our ungodly ways. So He's going to stop tending it, and then it goes on. But briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it. Now, you need to learn to hear the echoes. The echoes are allusions to other portions of Scripture. Let me read it again, and you listen to the echo. Briars and thorns will come up. Do you hear the echo? Of course you hear the echo. It's in the Genesis account. Remember after the fall of Adam and Eve, and uh, the, um, the serpent had had caused them to eat the the forbidden fruit and God said you know to the woman <clears throat> he's, um, he said you know I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth and I'm going to put enmity between you serpent and the woman and then he goes on and he says to to Adam cursed is the ground because of you in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you and you shall eat the plants of the field so this is the echo. We go back to Isaiah and it says, briars and thorns will come up. Why did briars and thorns come up back in the creation account? Because Adam and Eve did not obey God. That's the echo. And we get another echo here. I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it. And I suggest that that's an echo of Elijah. Now, and then finally, we get to the uh, the conclusion, um, which is in uh, verse seven. So we're in Isaiah chapter five, verse seven. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. So here's where it says that this whole parable is about the house of Israel and the men of Judah, his delightful plant. So it's about all the children of Israel. Um, in, in, in ancient times, the, the United Kingdom under David and Solomon had split into the divided kingdom. The northern kingdom of the ten tribes was called Israel. The southern kingdom of the two tribes was called Judah. And we're getting both Israel and Judah in this, in this poetic construction. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah his delightful plant. So it's referring to all the children of Israel. So this particular parable is about the children of Israel. And it, it, it ends, Thus God looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. And I was really caught by that last line, because if we are not walking in righteousness, bad things happen to us, and we cry out to God. God was looking for righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. So when we're not walking in righteousness, we're crying, help, help, help. 
Well, you know, God may help. He may help one time. He may help two times. But if you don't change your ways, he may stop helping until you fall so deep and so badly that you really will change your ways and turn to him. This is the whole focus of what we're getting in Isaiah. Now, um, we started in the parable in Matthew. And and the, and so we have to go back to Matthew chapter 21. And in verse 33 is where, where Matthew's parable begins. And Matthew actually cites from Isaiah. So it, it, it's essential that we we know this parable of Isaiah before even attempting to understand that Matthew's parable. So Matthew starts again, listen to this parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press on it and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. What we have to do is we have to compare what Matthew has done with the citation in Isaiah. Matthew has actually added something. And by adding it, it's going to change the message of the parable. It's, it, it's based on Isaiah. But it's going to apply to the, not only to the situation in the time of Yeshua, but it, it really has relevance to us today. Let me explain what, I'm, what I mean here. If you have a good reference Bible, the citation will be in small capital letters. So it's very easy to see what is not the citation. Let me read you what is not the citation. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who. That is not in capital letters. It's not a citation. What have I just read? The key word is landowner. Now in Isaiah, the owner of the vineyard was God. But let's, let's keep going. Because at the end of the verse, let me read to you what is not the citation and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. So the landowner is not, he has left, he's not in the story, which is different from Isaiah. And the landowner is gone. And the landowner, he went on a journey, he left. And he left it in, the, in his vineyard in the care of these, of these tenant farmers. This is going to give the parable in Matthew a whole different twist. And in order to get the twist, you not only have to see what has been added to the citation, but you have to read it in its context. Take a look um, in, well, I'm going to tell you, if you have your Bible, you can see. The context begins all the way up in verse 23. When Yeshua had come into the temple, this was right before he was crucified, uh, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? The context is Yeshua being confronted by chief priests and elders of the temple. These are leaders of God's people. So the parable in the context is renting out the vineyard to the leaders of God's people. He's not renting it out to all of God's people only to the leaders of God's people. This is going to give a whole different perspective on Matthew's parable. So where Isaiah was talking about all the children of Israel and God was instructing all the children of Israel, 
here in Matthew, Matthew is is has Yeshua speaking directly to the leaders of God's people. The condemnation here is going to be against the leaders. It is not going to be against all of God's people. That is a, a huge difference between Isaiah and Matthew. <clears throat> so, um, we don't have time now to go into Matthew's parable. I'm going to do that in, in our next session. And before the next session, I suggest that you do two things. First, <clears throat> you take your Bible and you carefully read the parable of the vineyard in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. And then you go into Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 33, and it goes all the way to verse 46. And you read Matthew's parable of the landowner and carefully. But keep in mind that Matthew is, the parable is addressed to the leaders of God's people, not to all of God's people. On the other hand, it has huge relevance for us today. And uh, we'll go into that in the next session. But, you know, my job is to help you uncover the depth of Scripture, but I can't do it if you're not in there working yourself. So, um, I trust you'll read these two passages, and I will see you in the next session.